very good morning to my brethren and to the friends and guests in our midst. I also like to welcome those who have taken the time to join us online also. The assigned topic for this morning is how well do we read? How well do we read? Now, even as we consider how well do we read, I would like to share with you what this uh, sermon will not be about. Okay, It will definitely not be about how we articulate. It's not about how we read something aloud. Okay, It's not about how good our reading is on the pulpit as well, or when we read to others. It's none of that. Okay, So this will not be an English lesson. Okay, yeah. So when we consider how well we read, let's take a moment to explore this idea of wellness. Okay, wellness. When we think of wellness, we think of welfare, right? I think in recent times, this idea of welfare, wellness, uh, is increasingly uh, uh, so getting it's becoming a hot topic, especially perhaps in the workplace. Right? Many uh, companies are spending lots of uh, emphasis or more emphasis okay, on welfare. Probably you know, in the pursuit of helping their workers uh, achieve this thing called work-life harmony. Right? So, you know, we think of wellness, we think of welfare. Many of us, especially those who might be working, you, we will raise our hands, right? Raise our hands, yes. Yes to more comfortable environments, right? Yes, yes to a better pantry with more cup noodles, right? Yes to many of all these things that will make our life more cozy at the workplace and maybe even at home. However, have we taken time to think about the idea of spiritual wellness? So you see, we are pretty much fixated over the idea of how we can improve our physical lives, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's at home. But at the end of the day, how much time or have we given enough thought to our own spiritual welfare or wellness? Is it actually something that is essential yet we neglect ever so often? All right. Is it only something that perhaps we only connect to Sundays where we all gather together to worship God? And that's where the, perhaps in a, throughout the course of the week, that's the only time that we start thinking of spiritual wellness. So I submit to you that spiritual wellness is actually important. It is important. It is crucial and something worth looking into. And that's where we come in to talk about this uh, recent series of lessons on how well we do something. In fact, last week, Brother Danny has shared with us on the topic of how well do we hear? Do we be, are we active listeners in hearing? Right? And that actually in itself is important because that contributes to spiritual wellness. And that is a receptive skill, if I may say, something that we receive as a hearer. Today, we're going to explore how well we read. And reading is also a receptive skill. So when we consider reading, when we consider hearing, there's much, uh, there's kind of a, uh, some overlap that you may actually um, be exposed to or we actually think about, where we think about hearing and reading. There's certainly some overlap. Regardless, let's branch into reading okay, as per the topic today and how it pertains to spiritual wellness. So the outline of the, this sermon is uh, separated into three parts, okay, three distinct parts. First, we explore the connection of reading 
with spiritual wellness? What has reading got to do with spiritual wellness? What is the connection? Because if I can't see the connection, then it's of no use to me. Next, let's consider a certain someone, a certain reader, and see whether this person is a good reader or not so good reader. Okay? And last but not least, perhaps on a more practical note, some conditions okay, that will help us to develop our abilities to read well. And when, of course, I say to read well, once again, it's not about reading aloud. It's really about reading the Word of God and enjoying it for what it is and understanding it. Okay, so let's dive straight into the connection of reading with spiritual wellness. What is this connection all about? You see, my brethren and friends, how well we read, firstly, affects our ability to discern truth from falsehood. And that is especially important. We go into the New Testament, we can find so many verses in all the books of the New Testament. There's so many verses that warn us against falsehood, against the need, warn us about the need to maintain spiritual purity. We always think of this group of people. When we consider good readers, we cannot exempt them. And, and I can, I'm pretty sure that over the course of time, we've been looking at this group of people uh, time and time again. In fact, we looked at them last week, right? Isn't it? The Bereans. The believers in Berea were a good example of readers, okay? And why so? If you may recall, and we often refer to this verse in Acts 17 and verse 11, it says, these, referring to the brethren over there, the believers over there, they were more noble than those, than the believers in Thessalonica. In what way? In that, they received the word with all readiness of mind. So, of course, we explored the idea of hearing last week, this part to relate to the idea of hearing, having that readiness of mind. But what else did they do thereafter? They searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So, we can see the kind of emphasis that they place on reading. They go into the scriptures and it's not just once a week. It's not just once a month. It's not just as and when it's a convenient time. They search the scriptures daily. It has become a daily habit of them to check whatever they have received from someone else and to make sure that those that what they receive is indeed the truth. So the Bereans obviously has created or cultivated a good habit among themselves. And that's something that is a mark or a hallmark of a good reader. Something that we can learn to help us discern truth from falsehood. Next, we consider another group of people. Now, this group of people, clearly, in the eyes of the public, in the eyes of society, now, they were probably the most well-versed. They are probably the most well-read, even. They are supposed to, when you look at them, people, the general public will look at them and say, if I want to know something about truth in God's word, they would go to them, actually. Right? That's what the public would think. Okay? These groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these are like the religious leaders of the day. People look at them and respect them and think that they are well-versed. What is the problem though? We see time and time again in uh, the New Testament that there were gaps in their understanding. No doubt, they knew. They probably could rattle off from the scriptures even. But there were problems because there were gaps in their understanding. Consider Matthew chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. This is what Jesus says when he was addressing the Sadducees. He said, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So we see here that very key phrase there, which I bolded in this slide. 
have ye not read? And we can do a search in the Bible and we can see that there are many times in which Jesus has used this phrase, have ye not read? So it's not, it's not that Jesus is saying that you didn't read. He's not at that literal level where, hey, you didn't read. They have read, they knew, but they didn't understand. So that was a problem with these groups of people. And of course, in particular, for the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that there was life after death. And of course, if we understand the context of this verse, when, he, when, when Jesus refers to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and then you see that he connects them with the word at the end of this verse, living. They are living. There is indeed life after death. And he's trying to correct them. Okay? Now, of course, at the end of the day, what did he say about them? When he looked at them and he has his discourse with them, he said about them, if you scroll back up to verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, the same group of people, he said, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. So you see the scriptures and the power of God are linked. And the problem with these people, they are in error because they don't know it well enough. They suppose that they knew it, but they did not. Now next, consider this point. When we are able to understand truth, when we understand it even better, what can we do then? Application would be a better understanding leads to better edification, better building up of one another. That's where spiritual wellness comes in. That's why it's important for us to make sure we are able to discern. In Ephesians 4 verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So of course, once again, we talk about it's a receptive skill. So hearing, reading, there's some overlap certainly. Okay, But really, it's about saying something good with the purpose of building up. So how do we want to build up one another? Am I hoping to build you up by saying something that is against the word of God? By saying something that God does not permit? By saying something that God did not command? Clearly not. If I want to build you up and I want to build you up in the way that God would want me to build you up and vice versa for you to build me up, then chances are, or rather the truth is that we have to understand what God, what God says in his holy word. And if we understand it, then we can be certain that whatever we say is in line with what God wants. In Acts 17 verse 2, it says that, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So you see, what was Paul reasoning, or where rather was Paul reasoning from? He was reasoning from no other than the scriptures, because he knows the value of the scriptures. He knows the importance of using the scriptures alone. And I want to repeat that. He knows the value of using the scriptures alone. He did not use man's logic. He did not use his own reasoning. He did not, he did not use something that seems right. But he used the scriptures alone. And it has become his manner. So clearly, the Apostle Paul would be a well-read person and well-studied individual to the point where he can use it easily and all the time. Now, the second point, how well we read affects our own emotional and our spiritual well-being. Reading the Word of God and how well we read will improve our spiritual well-being. 
Of course, of course it will. Because we best read the benefits of God's word if we actually truly read it and trust in it. Sometimes we read, some, we read God's word and perhaps we don't feel lifted. Could it be because we don't trust in its power? Could it be we don't trust in God's word enough? There's something for us to examine. In Romans 15 verse 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, referring to the scriptures in the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So you can see here very clearly that the Apostle Paul is encouraging the believers to go to the scriptures for comfort. So clearly, there is something that we can actually gain on an emotional level from the scriptures. Okay, And through that comfort, we are able to actually have hope especially in times of difficulty, especially in times of stress. In fact, Matthew 11 verse 29, Jesus himself says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Indeed, we can find rest unto our souls from Jesus. But what is that prerequisite? What is that something that we must do first in order to find rest unto our souls? If you look at this verse, it says, Learn of me. How else are we going to learn of Jesus and who he truly is if, unless, unless we go to the word of God and study it and learn about his life from there? Where else can we learn about Jesus' life except from the word of God? So when we understand more about the word of God, truly we can benefit in terms of our spiritual and emotional well-being. Next. The third point that I would like to share about the connection between reading well and spiritual well-being. How well we read affects our service to God. Well, consider the impact of our own reading on our quality of worship. Quality, yeah? Not just going about the motions, but we are talking about improving the quality. Do not forget that all of us are participants in worship. All of us. Whether I'm up here, as a speaker, whether we are seated, I'm sitting there with you as a listener, all of us are participants in the worship and it's congregational worship that we offer to God. Hence, reading well does improve that quality. Consider the idea of singing. Singing. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15, it reads, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Clearly, in the area of singing, the, the inspired writer here encourages us to make sure that when we sing, we must sing not just with the Spirit, the attitude, but to also sing with understanding. In fact, I am so appreciative of the recent weeks in the past uh, Thursdays where various speakers have come up to talk, to share about their understanding of uh, various hymns because you see when we attend these lessons and then we dive deeper into the words of the hymns it's not that the words are inspired but these words of course um, they they are related to the truth and we only want to make sure that we sing according to the truth not to take hymns that you know perhaps are a bit mm, iffy for lack of a better word right so when we go through those lessons when we know better what those verses actually mean and dive deeper into those meanings and we sing it. I'm not sure about you, but I for one feel more mm, connected to the hymn itself and what the author is trying to say. 
And in turn, certainly, it will, it will naturally affect how we sing. It will naturally affect uh, our praise to God. All right? So that's why reading well is important. Next, of course, clearly, John 4, 24, and we, we have gone through this verse many times already. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, of course, I don't want to dwell too much time talking about the idea of, of worshiping him in spirit, but consider the idea of the need to worship him in truth. Now, don't forget, there are two parts here, spirit and truth. And it's A and B. It's not O-R. And it doesn't take a primary school kid to tell you that A and B means both are important. So, spirit, the attitude, truth. What does it mean to worship God in truth? If to, it, it just means that we have to go to the word of God to determine what exactly is worshiping God, worshiping God in truth. No, so in the word of God, we can go in there and if we understand and truly understand what God wants from us, then we can ensure that whatever we do in worship, the acts that we do, are in line with what God says. And that is certainly why there are some things that we do not do as compared to perhaps, if you may be aware, of certain groups that may inject certain kind of practices into their worship services. We don't do that because we cannot find those authority in the scriptures. Next, how well we read affects our relationship. Certainly, when we think of spiritual wellness, it has to do with relations. Okay, so how well we read affects our relationship with God. And that's extremely important, even if, if we call ourselves Christian, isn't it? When we read his word, we find that the more we read it, the more we actually understand who God is. Isn't it true? How can we understand who God is? How can we understand who is what his character is like if we don't read the word of God? Certainly, we have to read it. We have to understand it. In John 14, verse 8 to 9, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us. It's enough for us. So, so Philip here is asking Jesus to show them who is the Father. Okay, he said, show us the Father and, and, and we're, we're happy. We're happy. All right. What is the reply? Jesus told him, Jesus said to him, have I so been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me have seen the Father. And how sayest thou then? Show us the Father. So you see, my brethren and friends, at the end of the day, we still have to go back to the Word of God to read it closely, to understand it. And when we understand Jesus, as mentioned earlier, then we also understand who God is. And that's what will draw us towards Him. That's what will strengthen our relationship with God. At the end of the day, I feel that we need to start reading our Bibles and regard it really, as though God is speaking to us directly from His Holy Word. As though He's speaking to us. That means when we turn the pages of the Bible, when we even use our ESOTs, for example, on our soft copies, those words that we read, we must start to take it that God is the one speaking directly to us. Sometimes we start to, it starts to, be, it starts to get a bit di distant because we start thinking, ah, this is what uh, Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is what Apostle Paul wrote to so-and-so. And then it starts to get a bit distant because where is God in the picture? But if we know actually deep down, at the end of the day, how do, why, why, how do we get the Bible? How do we get all these words that have been penned down? It's simply because all these originate from the mind of God. Then taking, in, taking in, into consideration this context, then let's read the Bible as though it is literally God speaking to us. That may change the way we look at it 
the perspective. It's all about the perspective. It's very important, okay? And how we regard it. Not just very distant, and God doesn't seem any dis very distant anymore when we regard it that way. So these are four, four reasons as to how reading well will, uh, will help us with our spiritual wellness. Now we move, transit from here, and let's consider a certain someone, shall we? Consider a certain someone, a certain reader, and let's explore. Okay, this guy a good reader? This person a bad reader? What's about it? Now, the context. I will introduce you to this man of Ethiopia. This is the reader whom we want to look at today. This man of Ethiopia, and it's taken from Acts chapter 8. So I'm sure even the children would, might remember, okay? But, and, it's a, and it's a story. So you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8 as well, okay? All right, so we go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 onwards. And bear with me because we want to consider the context as well. I mean, I cannot take away the context, right? If I'm coming up and talking to you about a, a sermon on reading, okay? So Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. So let's look at this man of Ethiopia. This is the reader. Let's explore. Verse 26 reads, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, and that is a desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem, for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet. So here is the introduction to this man. We know a few things about this man. Firstly, definitely we know that this man has great authority. Okay, and he is a trusted man. Okay, to the point where he, he has he has a charge of the treasure, of the treasury. Okay, to, to be given charge over the treasury, okay, it speaks volumes of uh, the queen's trust in this particular individual. Okay. What else do we know about this individual is that uh, he uh, is probably a proselyte. Okay, that's why he went to Jerusalem to worship. And then he's coming back. All right, he's coming back. So this is what we know about him. And for such an individual, you know that they have a lot of things on their mind. I mean, for such a person in such a, in such a, with such a high status, with such authority, there's certainly lots of responsibilities for him to think about as well. Okay, so this is just an introduction about this man. Okay, and he ends off with saying that he is in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, what happens then? Moving forward, Philip. Okay, Philip approaches the man. Okay, Philip approaches the man, this reader. So in verse 29, it says, Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandeth thou what thou readeth? So you see, here is where Philip goes to him, and Philip actually questions and asks him, Hey, do you understand this? Whatever is whatever that you're reading. So we move on from here. What was the man reading? We, we, he, he, so far we've only read that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. What exactly was the content? What was the man actually reading? That's where we go on to verse 31 to 34. And he said, so this is the, the man from Ethiopia, okay? The eunuch with the great authority. He said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. 
Now, the place of the scripture which he read was this. So now in verse 32, he's telling us about what he was reading exactly. Okay, which part? He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb, dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? Who will speak for him? Basically, who will speak for him? Who will vouch for him? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Is it of himself or is it of some other man? So here, of course, we can see uh, this part here focuses on the content in which uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was actually reading. And we know he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Okay, and Philip is trying, uh, and basically this man actually asked Philip, what is this about? What is this exactly about? What did, how did Philip respond? Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, the same place that he was reading, and preached unto him Jesus. Ah, so now we know. What was all those things that this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch was reading about? We know that whatever he was reading about centered on Jesus. Okay? Then, the response. What was the response from this eunuch? Philip had preached unto him Jesus. So, he learned about Jesus from those very same passages. What did he do after learning? What did he do after understanding? Acts 8.36 says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, so they were baptized, when they come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So here is the passage that I would like for us to explore about this particular reader, which is the Ethiopian eunuch. So let's take a moment, all right, to think and explore what makes this eunuch a good reader. Okay, what makes him a good reader? First, I submit to you, I give you three reasons. I submit to you that he immersed himself in God's word. That, that's what makes him a good reader, all right, to immerse himself. Now, notice, he had gone to Jerusalem. He had gone there to worship. He was returning. Notice that on his return, he was still reading the scriptures. I think that's something that's commendable. You know, so, As a man with such a high status, he could have been preoccupied with many other things. Or perhaps after worship, the last thing on his mind would be perhaps to read scripture. Right? Think about it. For example, what do you do when you go home after this? After Bible class, say, for some of us, we say, ah, oh, I'm just reached home. I'm very tired. I just want to maybe relax, take a chill pill, you know, lie down on my couch, turn on the TV and relax, right? What was this person doing? On his way back, he was still reading the scriptures. So I think it's something that's very commendable. And, and for him to develop this kind of, a to, to exhibit this kind of behavior, it certainly shows that he has a love for the scriptures. 
He wants to know, right? So how much time do we spend reading God's word? Do we spend most of our time on other pursuits or reading other things? Perhaps we are entertaining ourselves with other matters, right? But really, we can certainly learn from this eunuch because don't forget, he has finished the worship. He's coming back. He's probably as tired as many of us probably might be, but he's still reading the scriptures, okay? And he's also persisting, mind I, mind I add, because he was reading something which he wasn't so quite sure about. For some of us, we read something like, oh, what is this? I don't understand. That's it. Isn't it so? I mean, like, nowadays in my current context, in my current work, you give uh, teenagers a certain passage of words, I can tell you it's not going to sustain for a long time. Right? Yeah. So, here's the case. Classic case, very admirable because he was reading something he wasn't even so sure about. Okay, next. The second point. He was an inquisitive reader, a very curious reader, and I think that's what we can learn from him, being curious about the word of God. Are you curious about what you read? You know, when we don't know something just like him, when we don't know something, there can be two responses, right? One is, I don't know what this is. Ah, forget it. Close the book. Another response is, I don't know what this is. Can someone come and guide me? There are two responses to this. Okay. And I think we can learn certainly from his curious nature. Okay. One thing to be curious about what he read. Now notice, uh, I want to add on that he did not make assumptions about his own, of his own. He didn't. All right. Now Isaiah 53 verse 7 to 8 is basically the cross-reference as to what he was reading. Okay. When we read Acts chapter 8 just now. All right. That to him was puzzling. It was like a conundrum, right? But he made sure he asked and to make sure that he had a good understanding of what he was reading. He pursued an understanding of it. So likewise, I'm reminded in Luke 8, 9, verse 10, and I would believe that that was raised last week as well. And when we talk about the kind of reader or the kind of listener that God wants from us, right? Luke 8, verse 9 says, And his disciples asked him, that is basically Jesus' disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing, they might not understand. So, of course, they are asking him about the parable of the sower, right? But this is Jesus' uh, explanation to his disciples, all right? And really, what does this mean? He's trying to say that God, of course, related to the true meaning of the parable, God is really looking for the kind of listener or the kind of reader who is curious to know about his word, who wants to know, who has the desire to know. Okay? And, this, and these are the people whom God wants to come to him. So are we that kind of people? That's a question that we want to ask ourselves. The next thing that we can learn from this eunuch, I think, is that he's a responsive reader. It's very important to be responsive. Right? The eunuch could have learned a lot, understood a lot, but it would amount to nothing if he did not respond appropriately. Okay? It's just like how we can tell our children many, many good advice, right? And tell them 101 things to do. They can understand. They will say, okay, 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 in a bit to keep us quiet. But if they don't practice it, it amounts really to nothing. So what's so good about this eunuch or impressive about this eunuch as a responsive reader was that he acted upon what was preached to him and what he read and then understood. 
he understood it and he knew what he needed to do and he proceeded to act on what he needed to do. I think that is something that is commendable about this eunuch, right? Because many times there are people who read something, who learn about something and maybe they even understand that something, but it ends there. The response is not there, okay? In fact, um, let's see. What did he, let's see again, what did he understand? What did he understand? In verse 35 of Acts 8, remember, what did Philip preach to him? This eunuch asked, what is this passage about? What is this passage, who is this passage referring to? What did the eunuch, what did Philip say? Philip basically, from that same scripture, preached to him about Jesus. And notice it's very interesting because just one verse later, the eunuch asked, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? In verse 35, Philip preached Jesus. In verse 36, the eunuch is asking about baptism. So you see, what is this conclusion? The conclusion is, my brethren and friends, we cannot distance baptism from Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. We cannot. All right. If we claim to understand Jesus, then we must claim to have a clear understanding of baptism and the need for baptism. And of course, I can, I can spend time going through the importance of baptism, but of course, time will not permit me to do so. But if we truly understand who Jesus is, then we must understand that when we talk about Jesus, we must talk about baptism and the need for it. And this eunuch clearly understands the need for it. And he decided to act upon it at that point when they saw water. You can imagine how dirty the water might be, but he didn't care. <laughs> Right? So that's why this eunuch was impressive. All right. Okay. So let's try to be as good a reader as this eunuch to be responsive. Now, of course, we at the end of the day, it just means that we need to give due urgency to responding to the words of God. Now, next part is a little bit more practical, even as we round up this sermon today. All right. How can we read well? So we've covered... Um, the connection between reading well and spiritual wellness. We've looked at the eunuch and we say, hey, this guy is a respectable man for being a good reader. Well, maybe I'm not so good a reader. Maybe I am the kind who sits and takes out, opens the book and go like, I get sleepy on the spot. Maybe it's habitual. I look at words, I get sleepy. How can I uh, improve this situation of mine? Okay? i like to submit to you an acronym, READ. Okay? So the first one, READ with reverence. Reverence and reverence to God in awe of God. Okay, reverence and respect. Okay, for God. Now, next one to read with a prepared environment. Okay, and I'll talk about it later. A to read with an aim, and last but not least to read with desire. So this R E A D reverence environment aim and desire. Okay, it's quite easy. Hope maybe it will help you to remember. Okay, now what do I mean by reading with reverence to God? Well, first one, when we read, consider the context. Consider the context, okay? What, what is the background? What is the situation? So, for example, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, certainly, we, if we understand the context, then we understand better why they are communicating. Why was the woman even surprised that he ended up speaking to her? If we don't know the context, then, oh, we just read it like, and we just skim through, then we are missing that big picture, all right? Because clearly there is a background, okay, about the Samaritans, Right, and the Jews, and then we can better appreciate what was going on. 
So consider the context. Never add our own assumptions which cannot be verified. And when I say verified, I mean go back to the Bible to verify it. If we can verify it, sure. If we cannot verify it, let's not suppose that it means that. Because that will be on danger ground. We're like adding to the word, isn't it? Next, consider the whole message. The whole message. Don't forget that every scripture, every verse, and that being said, in the past, there's no verse numbers also, right? Yeah, in the past, there's no verse, verse numbers. So imagine if I remove all the verse numbers, then it just means that word for word, every word that you see in the Bible is actually important. Every verse is important. So it just means that we must consider the whole message. I cannot take one verse and suppose that that's more important than the other. Okay, so piece the picture together. Consider the whole message. Don't pick and choose. What seems reasonable to us, we may have we may have reasons to uh, like something and not prefer another thing that's being said. But that does not, does not mean that we can pick and choose, clearly, because that's the reason why God gave us the word as it is. Next, cons consider the biblical explanation. I think this is very important. Let God try let God do his own explanation. Let God speak. Many a times we are too fast to want to speak on behalf of God. Because we take the verse and we interpret it on our own terms. And we forget that maybe there are other verses that try to explain further or supplement what is trying to be said. So let God speak. And I know it can be a bit of a tedious process, but don't forget, we are talking about reverence for God and His Word. If we are going to take verse and interpret it out of context and, out, and then to understand it without looking at, looking at the Word as a whole, chances are we may go out of tangent. Alright? So let God speak. That's what I'm trying to say. It's God's word. Let God speak. Okay? So if God is not speaking, that's, that's where we need to be careful because if God is, if something is, if God didn't say something, then let's not presume that God has said something as well. Okay? And the worst thing to, to be, should I say, the worst thing to do is to say God did not say something, therefore it's okay. I don't think silence is consent. We're assuming that God said that. And then, then we have to go to a, to how do we verify that? If we can find something in the scripture that God said, okay, if I'm silent, you can do it, then oh, by all means. But God, there's no verification. Once again, remember, we must verify before we can assume. Next, let's read in a prepared environment. And the environment is very important. When you want to read, whenever you want to study, whenever you want to pray, even, right? Isn't it so? Environment is extremely important, right? Uh, um, do you pray when you're lying down on your bed? And, uh, some of us, I'm sure, right? Every now and then, you get too tired. Then you... And what happens? You sleep, right? You doze off, right? Or the prayer will be rushed, right? It's the environment. It's the environment. Okay? What do we do? Consider the setting. Uh, set ourselves up for success, uh, from the lighting to where we sit. Okay? You want to read the Word of God, make sure the lighting is comfortable enough, bright enough, so you don't strain your eyes and you get turned off because you're straining your eyes. Then you say it's difficult to understand. It's a bit of a self-opening prophecy, isn't it? Uh, where we sit as well. We sit on our bed, we'll be tempted to go. I'm done. Right? I mean, I, I will admit that there are times where, you know. Consider the reading or study tools. This will help us. The environment is not just our physical environment. The environment is also what we use for study. Okay? So, in this case, we are very blessed in this day and age where we can use technology to help us. We have... Uh, for example, if you have the ESOT, then what you can do is you have so many commentaries that can help you. Okay, of course, do study them closely because sometimes the commentaries are not, not entirely correct as well. Right, but it gives us a good starting point so you can do some cross-referencing. Um, 
modern English translations would help. Okay, uh, one of our brethren, sometimes when I speak to him, right, he will say, oh, I, I'm not a reader. I, I find it very difficult to read. So, uh, I, you know, when I read, sometimes after a while, I don't really quite understand. Very difficult. So maybe I should start with the children's Bible. Uh, one of our, our brethren said that, um, yes, I agree. Start with the children's Bible if it helps you because that will draw you closer to God, help you understand at least the main stories before, you know, you move in deeper. That's what the Bible talks about, milk and strong meat, right? Of the word. There's milk, there's strong meat. So go ahead. Use the children's Bible even, all right? If you need to. Otherwise, we can use modern English translations that will help us, okay? Once again, as with modern English translations, just be a little bit careful. Consider the company as well. Read together if it helps. Uh, if you if you, are, you you want to inculcate a good habit within the family, read together. You want to incorporate a good habit, uh, cultivate a good habit with you between you and your spouse, read together. Take the Bible, just read together. All right? A few verses even for a good start. Okay? And then maybe, boy, you can uh, go to bed. Yeah, so that's a good habit. All right? The company is very important. So who we, who we mix with will affect our motivation to do something, isn't it? Right? Of course, if nobody wants to read with you, then... Audio Bible, huh? yeah, audio Bible, right? Because sometimes you can hear and you can read. Ah, that's double. We talk about hearing and reading at the same time. That will help, no? Okay, that will help. Retention. Next, read with an aim. Have a goal in mind when you're reading. If you have no goal, no, no idea of what you really want, then chances are you won't do it, isn't it? Right? Consider the reading goals that you have in mind and be realistic. Huh? Don't, if you're just trying to start off, then don't say, oh, today I'm going to read the entire book of Leviticus. Whoa, you're going to stop at chapter 1. You're going to stop at verse 10 maybe. Yeah, so be realistic. If, 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 if you are just starting off and, you know, really just make it simple. Sometimes you can start off with so-called narratives like stories. Like for, take, take, take for example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are gospel accounts. They are stories. X, the book of X, like they are like stories. So they are easier to manage. They are easier to read. Start off with these because it will inculcate a little habit plus the love for reading first. Then you move on to revelations and, and that kind of stuff. Right, okay? All right. Um, and also consider the broad purpose of reading. It does not mean that when you read the Word of God, you must study it. I want to make this distinction. It doesn't mean that when you read the Word of God, you must study it. Some people read for entertainment. So if you read for entertainment or you read for leisure, then you can read through just to get the idea and then... That's good enough, perhaps, depending on your purpose. If you are reading for details, for insights, then it's like a study. It's a close study. So reading has different purposes as well. So consider your purpose when you open the Word of God. What are you doing? What are you going to read it for? If it's for leisure, then by all means, don't be, too, uh, don't be so tough on yourself. Okay? Yeah, keep it easy. Last but not least, read with desire. Consider how blessed we are to receive in our hands the Word of God. You know, people of those times, they don't get the chance to, to, to have the, the mysteries of God revealed unto them. We today, we are very blessed because in our hands is the word of truth. In our hands is the word of God. Let's not, you know, miss that opportunity that God has given us to know more about Him because we have this opportunity to do so. So we are blessed indeed. We have the desire and joy because we want to know Him, because we want to draw closer to Him. Alright, and of course to round up this part, Psalms 27 verse 4 says, One thing, the psalmist says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, to ask in his temple, to learn of him. So, my brethren and friends, when we consider this verse, think about how reading well affects all of this. Reading well would allow us to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. Reading well will allow us to behold the beauty of the Lord as we learn of him. And reading well certainly to give, will give us the answers as we inquire in his temple. So reading well is certainly an important skill that if we cultivate, we will certainly draw closer to God and improve our spiritual wellness. So in today's lesson, we have looked at these three areas. We've looked at the connection between reading well and spiritual wellness. Indeed, it's important, not just that we consider at all, all times of our life to look at physical wellness, but to also explore spiritual wellness also. We also consider a certain reader, which is the utopian eunuch. This man of Ethiopia, tasked with so many responsibilities of a high status even, trusted individual, but he preoccupied himself with the word of God and he was certainly an inquisitive learner. And last but not least, just a little, some tips from me, uh, like least, uh, for lack of a better word, some tips from me to share with you about certain conditions in which we can promote our reading of the word of God. With that, my brethren and friends, it brings me to this part, uh, this conclusion of the sermon, where I would like to extend the invitation of the gospel to you. To those who may have heard the gospel, who may have understood the gospel, but you may not have responded to it. We talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, and he learned about Jesus. And remember, we spoke about how when we learn about Jesus, we cannot separate the idea of Jesus from baptism and how important it really is. And we read, the Bible, and remember how we need to take the whole message and put it all together to have a clearer understanding of what God wishes for us. We see God has done his part, and that is to send his son to earth to die for our sins. We have erred. We have erred. We have sins in our life we need to get rid of, and God has done his part. The thing now is, as with a handshake, we need to do ours. We need to do something on our part. And I'm sure many of us here, you have been with us for a regular time. You have heard the word of God. You have heard the gospel. And I would even say that many of you would have believed the word, believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's left to be done? The only things left to be done will be to have it in your heart, that commitment and determination in your heart to make, to repent of your sins. And thereafter to confess Jesus, to confess Jesus as the Son of God. And then to subject yourself to baptism so that you can have your sins washed away, similar to that Ethiopian eunuch which we have read earlier. And thereafter remain faithful and to death so that God will award you that crown of life. So if anyone wishes to respond to the gospel invitation, if you wish to become a Christian today, let us know. Let the person beside you know. Let your close friend know even. And arrangements can certainly be made. If you need to study a little bit more, maybe you need to understand a little bit more of the word of God so that you'll be fully convinced of the truth, let us know. We will do our utmost best to assist you in this matter. And with that, we hope that, I hope that this uh, lesson has been of use to you. Let us stand as we sing the invitation song. Give me the Bible, star of gladness gleaming, to share the wonder, lone and tempest tossed. 
No storm can hide that radiance peaceful beaming. Since Jesus came to seek and save the lost, give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining, till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible when my heart is broken, when sin and grief have filled my soul with fear. Give me the precious words by Jesus spoken, hold a face lamp to show my Saviour near. Give me the Bible, holy message shining, Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining, till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible, all my steps enlighten, teach me the danger of these realms below. That lamp of safety, oh, the gloom shall brighten. That lamp alone, the power of peace be Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible, lamp of life immortal. Hold up that splendor by the open grave. Show me the light from heaven's shining portal. Show me the glory yielding Jordan's way. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till night shall vanish in eternal day.